we're on our last Sunday of our, of our first series. It's pretty cool. Four-week series in Romans chapter 8 on the promises of God, seeing and savoring God's promises, seeing everything that God is holding out for you to grasp onto and taking it and making your, it your own. We've, we've learned about that, that there's no condemnation. You, have a, you are free from the penalty that's over you. You have a new power living in you, the Holy Spirit. You are adopted as a child. And this week, we're going to be looking at the very last, uh, the last part of chapter 8. And if Romans 8 is a high point in the Bible, these last chapters are the high point of Romans 8. And I believe that God, as we sit in this passage today, I believe that God wants to work a deep confidence in you this morning. A deep confidence that he's good. A deep confidence that his ways are good. And a deep confidence that he deeply, deeply loves you. So let's go ahead and read Romans uh, chapter 8. Angela, if you can come on forward. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is, in, what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified." What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Romans 8, 28, starting verse 28. Ahora bien, sabemos que Dios dispone todas las cosas para el bien de los que los aman, es decir, de los que Él ha llamado de acuerdo a su propósito. Porque a lo que antes conoció también lo predestinó para que sean hechos conforme a la imagen de su Hijo. Para que Él sea el primogénito entre muchos hermanos. Y a los que predestinó también los llamó. Y a los que llamó también los justificó. Y a los que justificó también los glorificó. ¿Qué más podemos decir entonces? Que si Dios está a nuestro favor nadie podrá estar en contra de nosotros. El que, no escatimó ni a su propio, el que no escatimó ni a su propio Hijo, sino que lo entregó por todos nosotros, ¿cómo no nos dará también con Él todas las cosas? ¿Quién acusará entonces a los escogidos de Dios? Dios es el que justifica. ¿Quién es el que condenará? 
Cristo es el que murió más aún el que también resucitó el que además está a la derecha de Dios y intercede por nosotros ¿Qué podrá separarnos entonces del amor de Cristo tribulación angustia persecución hambre desnudez peligro espada como está escrito por causa de ti siempre nos llevan a la muerte y somos contados como ovejas de matadero sin embargo en todo esto somos más que vencedores por medio de aquel que nos amó por lo cual estoy seguro de que ni la muerte ni la vida ni los ángeles ni los principados ni las potestades ni lo presente ni lo porvenir ni lo alto ni lo profundo ni ninguna otra cosa creada nos podrá separar del amor que Dios nos ha mostrado en Cristo Jesús nuestro Señor. Amén. Amén. Father God, we thank you for today and we ask that you would be with us and that you would change us, that this would not just be information but transformation, that you would work your way deep into our hearts and change what we love and work your way deep into our minds and change what we know and work your way deep into our lives and change what we do through your promises. And all God's people said, Amen. When I was a teenager, I was at a church up a little bit further north in Palm Beach County and uh, for some reason, I don't know if my parents forced me or why, but I signed up to be in the Easter pageant, and along with all of my friends, which seemed like fun, but ended up being a, a headache for the play director, because if you've tried to ever organize teenage boys to do anything that you tell them to do, it doesn't work. Uh, so we gave her a definite headache, and even though the play went well, the thing that I w most remember from being part of that play was this special curtain that they had on stage. Uh, a special curtain that they had on stage. And on the curtain was this painted image of Jerusalem. And when the lights were on out here on the stage, you saw Jerusalem. But when the lights were turned off here and turned on behind the curtain, you didn't see Jerusalem. You saw right through the curtain to whatever scene was happening behind the curtain. So it was a way to save money in one sense, because you could have a scene up here, and then you could get your scene ready behind there, and then just flip the lights, and all of a sudden, everyone could see through. Now, while the lights were on back here, my friends were usually back, and I were back there, punching each other, wrestling, like right before the lights came on, and then, and then you know, the play director would be like, stop it! Um, but that's one of the things that most fascinated me about that play experience, just was that curtain and how there was a front stage and a backstage, and depending on the lights, you could see what was happening on the front stage or on the backstage. And I think that's comparable to our lives. Our lives are, are, are like the front stage. I mean, we live out here, and we experience the things out here. The lights are on right here in our lives, and, and, and we encounter a lot of things on this front stage. We walk through a lot of difficult things. We walk through struggles and problems, and those are the things we see because the lights are on here, and those are the things that we encounter. We deal with heartbreak, and we deal with loss, and we deal with wanting things to happen in our life that don't happen, and those are the things we know. And God's backstage, and the lights aren't on back there, so we can't see what he's doing, and we can't see what's going on behind the scenes. All we see is the front stage and the things that we encounter here. And as we encounter those hard things, as we encounter the problems and the heartbreak and the struggles and the trials, um, it makes us question what's going on back there. It makes us question what's going on behind the curtain. And it makes us wonder, 
Doesn't it at times, as you experience things on the front stage of your life, it makes you wonder, is he paying attention? What's he doing back there? Does he know what I'm walking through right now? Is he good? Is the pain that I'm experiencing pointless or does he have a purpose? Because I sure don't see it as I'm walking around out here. Does he love me? Because the things I'm experiencing out here make me wonder if he truly does love me. What is that thing for you that brings you to the point where you're wondering what's happening back there? Maybe it stings or maybe it's one thing, but all of us have a thing that makes us question what's going on behind the curtain. We experience these things on the front stage of our lives, and these are the things we know. And those things make us question God. We wonder if he's good, we wonder if he loves us, and we wonder if he has a purpose. And as we experience things that makes life appear pointless, God seem removed in his ways, not so good. People respond in different ways to this reality. There's something called deism. And deism says God worked at one point. He sort of booted the computer on and then he stepped away and let the programs run on their own. And many people believe God did something a long time ago, but he's, he's no longer doing anything. He's somewhere back there and we don't know what he's doing. Or there's another belief called agnosticism, which is, I don't know. I don't see any evidence out here that leads me either way. And so I just think... I don't know. Is he back there? Is he not? I have no way of knowing. And then there's another belief that I'll call fake it till you make it, which is I'm supposed to believe that he's back there and that he's good and that he loves me and that nothing's pointless. I'm supposed to believe that, but I'm struggling to believe that, so I'm just going to fake that I do. Now, we've all been there. We've all been there. But here's the thing as we read Romans 8. God wants us to know. God wants us to know and have a confidence that he is in fact back there, that his ways are good, that the pain is not pointless, but everything you experience has a purpose. And he wants you to have the most confidence that he deeply, deeply loves you, that he deeply, deeply loves you. And so what happens in this particular passage is as we're standing out here on the front stage, God dims the lights out here and turns them on back there. And we can see right through the curtain to everything that God is and everything that he's purposed for us and every, every intention that he has toward us. We're able to see through the curtain to the backstage. And the point is that as we see through the curtain towards the backstage, that knowledge of backstage leads to confidence on the front stage of life. He wants us to have confidence as we experience those things in life. The, the heartbreak and the pain and the, the feelings of pointlessness. He wants us to know that he is good and he has a purpose and he is loving. The key verse in this passage is the one that's probably the most famous in the Bible Verse 28 in the NIV says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I want you to think about today, I want, I want you to think about God trying to convince you to own that verse. 
so that you can actually say that not with doubt, but with confidence that it's true for you because Jesus died in your place. If you know Jesus, this verse is in fact for you. And every single thing that God brings into your life is meant for your good. Every single thing. All God's motivations towards you are good. Now your life might not go according to your plans. In fact, your life will not go according to your plans, but they're always going according to God's purposes. It's always going according to God's purposes. And you can have a confidence in the mess of this front stage of life, that God is good, that he loves you, and that he has a purpose. And that confidence is for you if you love God. That assurance is for you if you love God. Now, don't think here that when the verse says, for all those who love God, that the answer is, okay, I've just got to love God enough. And if I love God enough, then I can know and have assurance that all that stuff's happening back there. That would be the opposite of what this passage wants you to do. That would be looking again at yourself and your ability when you're actually pretty weak in loving God. What God wants you to do, again, is dim the lights on the front stage of life. Not so much focus on how much you love God and how committed you are to him, but focus on what's happening behind the curtain, how committed God is to you. And that's immediately what God shows us in this passage, is that he is utterly committed to bring us to the point of salvation. He's utterly committed to bring us to the point of salvation. You see, when you got saved or when you started following Jesus or when you repented and believed the gospel, you went through some stuff, didn't you, to get there. You thought about some things, you wrestled with some things, you struggled through some things, and then maybe you walked an aisle, and maybe you actually stood up on a real-life stage and confessed Jesus in front of everybody. Now, all that happened, but God wants you to dim the lights there and look behind the curtain to what he did to bring you to the point of salvation. And as we look at that, we'll see how committed he is to us. The first thing is it says that God foreknew. God foreknew. And, and God is about to give us a list of things that he did to bring us to himself. He's about to bring us through a list of things that he did to bring us to himself. But it's not meant to be read like a checklist. It's meant to be sung with joy. And that's why Paul, as he writes, he says, those he foreknew, he predestined. But then he says predestined again. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. So that by the end, we're meant to be shouting it. And it starts off by saying that God foreknew. Now, when we see that word know, foreknow, we think about information. We think about God having knowledge. And that's not what this word is trying to convey. It's not saying that God in eternity past looked into the future and saw, oh, I see that that person will accept Christ, and so now I know. It's not conveying that God is a spectator. Rather, it's conveying that God is someone who commits and claims people long before they ever know about him. This word is not informational, it is relational. If you look throughout the Old Testament, the word new is used in that relational way. God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
He's not saying, I knew about you. He's saying, relationally, I knew you, and I was going to appoint you to be a prophet. And in the book of Amos, he says this to the nation of Israel. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. God's not saying Israel is the only country I know about. That doesn't make any sense. He's saying that I have committed myself to you and you alone. And for us, it means that God sets his affection on us way before we turn to God. God sets his affections on us way before we turn to God. God foreknew us. And those he foreknew, he predestined. Ephesians 1, 3 through 4 says that he, God, chose us in him, which is Christ, before the foundation of the world. Meaning that long before the world was even created, God decided to set his affections on you and chose you to be part of his family. Chose you to be part of the family of Jesus. God chooses us for his purposes before we ever choose him. Well, why? Because salvation is God's. And God wants us to know how committed he is to saving us, that he flips on the screen again and we're able to see right through to everything that God orchestrated in order to bring us to himself through Jesus. And that's meant to give us a deep assurance. Because if God had his hand on you in eternity past, he's not going to let you go right now. And he's not going to let you go in the future. And that's not meant so that we can just check out of life and say, oh, God's in control, I'm not going to do anything. No, rather, we're to actively participate in what God has decided to do. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And here's why. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God chooses us for his purposes so that we might glorify him and love him and, and, and proclaim his name in this world way before we choose him. But it's at this point that we actually see God's plan sort of coming out from the behind the curtain and into our realm, into our daily lives. Because those who he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those who he predestined, he called. And calling has to do with responding to the good news of Jesus. See, there was a point where you sensed God tugging on your heart, where you were attracted to the gospel. Even though it gave you some bad information about yourself, there was something about it that, that pulled you in and convicted you. You came to this point where you accepted that you were a sinner that you had been born into sin and that you willfully sinned. You, you began to understand God's character, that he's utterly different than, than us. He, he's righteous, and I'm not. He's just, and I'm not. And, and so he can't just let our sin go by. And you begin to recognize that punishment was due, that you're separated from God spiritually, that, that, that we're not connected with him. Our spiritual umbilical cord has been severed between us and God but also that the punishment would be physical. Our bodies and our, and our souls are separated at death. And then lastly, if we die in that state, we're forever separated from God. 
And as you begin to recognize that reality, you, you begin to come to the end of yourself. You begin to come to the end of yourself where you saw the mess that you had made in your life and you said, this is no good. I mean, I'm getting bad news about myself, but what I've created is no good. And as that happened, you began to turn away from running your life and turn away even from your own perspective and turn to God. And what you found when you turned to God is that his love was waiting there for you right as you turned. You were warm to his love and you began to understand that the holy God of the universe had sent the Son to be a substitute for you. The Son, Jesus Christ. And you begin to even see Jesus differently. Maybe you understood him as a teacher or a good person or a really good Jewish person, but your perspective on him even began to change. You began to understand that he wasn't just a good person, he was fully God and fully man. Fully man because he went through all the same things that we went through. There's not nothing that anybody in this room has gone through that he hasn't been through. The trials, the hardships, the temptations. And yet, as he went through that, he never sinned. Fully human and yet fully God. Always obeying God the Father with joy. And as you began to understand who Jesus was, there was something in you that was drawn to the strange beauty of the cross. That strange beauty of the cross where a tool that's used to physically put someone to death becomes a source of your spiritual life. Becomes a source of your spiritual life because Jesus was put on that cross for you. And Jesus was punished for you. And God's wrath against sin was put on Jesus instead of you. And when that all clicked, in your mind and in your heart, you were being called. You were being called to respond to the gospel. Calling means that God draws us as we hear the gospel and he draws us out of sin and death into salvation in Jesus Christ. And let me me just clarify for you that if that's happening in you right now, if you're in a season where you feel that God is drawing you away from yourself and towards him, what do you do? Don't fight it. (laughs) If you fight it, God is just gonna tug harder. You will eventually come to the end of yourself and see his great love for you in Jesus. Don't fight it, but then also come talk to me. Come talk to someone here at New City. We would love to walk with you through that process as you examine the reality of being drawn to God through Jesus. Because it doesn't stop there. All that God foreknows, all those he foreknows, he predestines, and those he predestines, he calls, and those he calls, he justifies. Now, forgiveness has to do with canceling a debt that you owe. We owe God a debt because we have been unrighteous. And that debt is transferred to Jesus on the cross. But justification or justified is is a different type of word. It's not the same as forgiveness. If forgiveness is our sin being transferred to Jesus, justification is Jesus' righteousness being transferred to us. His righteousness being transferred to us. In other words, on the cross, Jesus got what we deserved. But in justification, we get what Jesus deserves. 
If you're going in to see one of your teachers, some of you are in, are in, uh, are in school still, and, um, and you go in to your teacher and you bring in a paper, and it's at the best, at best it's an F. Let's just say it's a 10%, maybe. You're maybe gonna get a 10%. And as you look at that F, you're gonna, you're gonna have to hand that paper in, and you know that once you hand that paper in, you are gonna get all the consequences for having a 10%. It's an awful paper. You have nothing and no way to talk your way out of it. But just at that moment, Jesus comes in and sits down next to you. And he says, actually, I'll take his paper. And all the consequences of having that F paper will come on me. Whatever it brings, I'll take the consequences. And you gladly just hand it over. But then where are you? You have nothing to offer. Jesus pulls out his paper, and just by looking at it, you know that it's an A plus, plus, plus. And he gives it to you and says, I want you to turn in my paper. And all that I deserve for writing that A plus, 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 plus paper, you reap the benefits. You reap the benefits. And you look at Jesus, and you look at your teacher, and you look at Jesus, and you look at your teacher, and you stick your hand out, and the teacher takes the paper and says, congratulations. You now have an A plus plus, plus. That helps us understand what justifies mean. Justifies is a legal term about transfer, that our sin and shame have been transferred to Jesus on the cross, but that his perfect obedience has been legally transferred over us so that God says, you are righteous. Now, if you know yourself, you're going, wait a minute, that's not true, but it doesn't matter. It's been declared over you because what Jesus has done on your behalf. This changes everything in the way that we relate to God. It changes everything. Because most of us deep in our hearts do have a grading system with God. We think there's some sort of brownie point system that if we do this and if we do this, then we're a little bit closer to God or we're a little bit further away from God. And what this is saying is that there's no grading system because the grading system has already happened. You have nothing left to earn from God because Jesus has earned it for you. There are no brownie points. You are in. But then also you can't lose that status because God is the one who has declared it. And if God has legally declared it over you because what Jesus has done for you, you had no part in it. You can't lose it. There's nothing you can do that will unjustify you. If you are in Christ, God has declared you righteous. Amen? Amen. And that gives you a new motivation to follow God. It doesn't give you less motivation to follow God. It gives you a new motivation to follow God. Because all of a sudden, you're so in love with him for what he's done for you that you don't want to hurt him. You don't want to disappoint him. You want to do everything you can for this God who has taken you, a sinner, and declared you righteous. Those he foreknew, he predestined, and those he predestined, he called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. This is what we talked about last week. Glorified means that God will make us like Jesus and we will rule with Jesus in the life to come. But Paul writes it in the past tense. In other words, this hasn't happened, but Paul writes it as if it has happened. And here's why. 
God wants us to be so certain that it will happen that he writes it as if it has happened in the past tense. You will be glorified. You will be made fully like Jesus in every aspect of your life and you will rule with him in the life to come. So let me put up a little graph for you in case you missed something. God foreknows, God predestines, God calls, God justifies, God glorifies. He sets, he chooses, he reaches, he declares, he transforms. Do you see a pattern? Do you see a pattern? Who is the actor in all of these things? Who is the one who is the doer? It is God. And we are the receivers of what God has done. Now we live on this stage of our life and we see all these things, but God wants us to see these things and all that he has done and all that he has committed himself to, to bring us into his family and save us through Jesus Christ. And as we see these things, we're meant to go, he is good. He does love me. He does have a purpose. You know, everything I'm experiencing in life is rough and tough and hard, but it's little compared to this. It can't trump these things. We're meant to have more certainty and more knowledge and more clarity. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just that we have now a peek behind the curtains to see what God has done in order to commit himself to us. As the text continues to go on, we're meant to see that God didn't just stay back there. God actually came out from the curtain. God actually went from backstage to front stage and entered into our world in the person of Jesus. Verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. When God left backstage and came front stage into our world, it was in the person of Jesus. And when Jesus came, he came to die and sacrifice himself for us. And so if when God shows up from the backstage on the front stage, it's to give up what he treasures most in order to show love to us, it means that he has to be good. He has to be good. If he gives his most sacred treasure, his beloved son, for our benefit, then he can never, ever hold out on us again. It means that he is not a Grinch. He is not a miser. He's not someone who's holding out on you. He can't be because he's given us his son. Paul writes, if he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give? In other words, if he's given everything in Jesus, it's not like he can downgrade. It's not like he can hold out. And what that means is as you experience things in your life and you experience things that you want that God is not giving you, it's not because he's holding out on you. It's because he loves you and it's because he's good. And he wants to put things in your hand that are going to lead you on the way of salvation. And you can trust him. Not only that, but your relationship with him is secured in a new way. Never, ever, ever based on performance. Never, ever, ever based on performance. Paul continues to write, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Paul's taking us right back to the list and saying, listen, 
Your deepest failure towards God doesn't exclude you from God because you have been justified by Jesus. So now you're in this relationship with God where it's never, ever, ever based on your performance, and that means no failure can define you. Verse 34 says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. See, some of you are still living, over, living life on this front stage with this black cloud over you. We talked about this in the first week of the series. That black cloud, which is I'm nothing, I'm a failure, I'll never please God. That is from the pit of hell. That is a lie that the devil wants to trick you into believing so that you walk around thinking that God hates you. God has already condemned sin in Jesus for you. And you are now his beloved child. Christ Jesus is the one who died. So who can condemn you? You can't even condemn you. Something legal has happened. And so when you sin or when you fail God, don't condemn yourself. Admit it. Confess your sin, turn away from your sin and turn back to God, but don't condemn yourself because God doesn't condemn you. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Not only that, but when Jesus came onto this front stage, he has beat the very thing that we all will face. Everyone in this room will face death unless Jesus comes back before that. But Jesus has conquered that. Verse 34 says, more than that, Christ Jesus was raised from the dead. And so you and I no longer have to pine and worry and wonder about that final thing that we'll face. Because if Jesus was raised from the dead and you are in him, you will rise too and your funeral is not the last time people will see you. Not only that, but Jesus went from the front stage back behind the curtain again. Verse 34 says, he is at the right hand of God interceding for us. He has broken through onto the front stage, but then he has gone back behind the curtain. And he is now representing us there. He is now interceding for us as he rules and reigns at the right hand of the Father. You know what he's doing? He's praying for you right now as you face those things in your life. He's praying for you that as you face those things, you won't quit. You'll continue to trust him. You'll continue to repent and believe the gospel, that, that you'll have boldness in sharing the gospel even though you face things that are in opposition to you. Right now, he's praying for you. Robert Murray McShane said, oh, if I could only hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. But then he says, yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. And that should give you courage to face things because Jesus is praying for you as you face those things as a representative. God wants to deeply convict you of his love for you. Now, God's love doesn't necessarily remove things from your life. God's love doesn't necessarily remove the things that you want out of your life from your life. But the point that God wants you to get is that things cannot remove you from God's love. Whatever thing you're facing in your life, it cannot remove you from God's love. 
And God's love should give you a confidence to walk through those things, no matter how hard they are. Verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he gives a long list of things that we feel like could separate us from the love of Christ. And maybe for you, it's that life is harder than it has ever been. Maybe for you, it's the fear of losing your job because you're a Christian. Maybe for you, it's a hurricane. If a hurricane comes and levels Hollywood and Hallandale and we all lose our houses, what if? What if the cancer comes back? What if the United States of America crumbles and our nation is taken over by another country? What if, what if, what if? All of those things make us feel helpless, like victims and way out of our control. But Paul writes the exact opposite. He says that God's love is so strong that we're conquerors. No, we're more than conquerors. And what that word is it translated in a modern English would be like a super blowout victory. Because God's love is on you and he will never take it from you. Nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. God is so committed. He's so purposeful with everything that he brings into your life. He's never not working. I know I use double negatives a lot, but he's never not working, meaning he's always working. And that means that everything that you go through in your life, all the suffering, all the hardship, all the difficulties, all the trials, though they are real and though they are painful, in some mysterious way, they are taken up into God's purposes. And God actually uses those things to spread his love and advance his purposes. One of the best stories in the Bible that clarifies this for us is the story of Joseph. And so next week we're starting a series in Joseph called Life's Pain and God's Purpose, where we're actually gonna unpack some of these ideas from that particular story. And one of the most profound verses in the whole story of Joseph is after Joseph has been betrayed, thrown in jail, uh, gone through incredible hardship, and his brothers come to him and say, we're really sorry. Joseph says, you meant it for evil. In other words, it happened. I'm not glossing over it. You guys did some things to me, but God meant it for good. But God meant it for good. And you know what? The people who Paul was writing this chapter to, they went through some things as well. It's interesting that Paul writes to these folks about persecution and sword because about maybe 10 years after Paul wrote this letter, a persecution broke out against the Christians in Rome. This crazy emperor named Nero set the city on fire. And then when he realized that he was gonna get the kickback from setting the city on fire, he blamed it on the Christians. And he started putting them to death. And persecutions broke out way beyond Rome. Across the Roman Empire, people were being killed for their faith. But it only spread the gospel message. And it only advanced God's purposes. And that's why it's so crucial for us to understand that God is good. 
that his ways are good and that he deeply, deeply loves you and me. It's so important to us here at New City that we've worked this into our vision statement, into our vision page on, on the website. If you go to the website, it says that we are empowered by the freedom of the gospel of grace. That was no condemnation that we studied earlier. We are empowered by the joy of being children of God, and that's adoption. And then today, we are empowered by the certainty of God's commitment to his purposes. God does not quit. He does not give up. As we close the sermon, I want to ask you if you would stand and just read Romans 8, 38, and 39 with me. And as the musicians come up, we'll, we'll then close in prayer. But I want you to look at the first words. For I am sure. Do you know? Do you know that God is good and that his plans are good and that he loves you deeply? Let's say this together. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We thank you that you have entered in and you have loved us deeply. And pray that you would increase our faith as we, um, as, we look, as we reflect on your word, that you would work it in us this week and give us a deep confidence in you.